Michigan unbeaten no more. Piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes. But when his number was called, seven got six. What's up? And welcome to Spoko Radio, presented by Blackheart Gold Pants, SB Nation's community for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm your host, DC. With me, as always, is Jerry Sherwin. Jer, how are you doing this week? I just got off doing of the first run of quarantine, basically, and I just did it to clear my head because I know there's going to be some uh, some tough roads ahead in this podcast. It's not an easy one. With us also, it's the people's champ, David Johnson. Champ, how are you? I'm great. It hasn't been the easiest of a uh, couple weeks for the Hawkeye program, but I'm excited to be with you guys and kind of talk through some of these issues. Yeah, we figured we took last week off, given everything going on in the world, but when it hits directly to the University of Iowa football program, we can't stay away. We must talk about what's going on. So you guys are going to get a very important and difficult and truthfully unsure where this podcast is going to go from right this moment. Yeah. But re- but uh, reminder to subscribe wherever you guys get your podcasts. Uh, follow us on Twitter at BHGP, at Chai People's Champ, at Jerry Sherwin, and at Dave Cray. We're not going to do an outside zone this week because it just doesn't – still not really appropriate to really goof around because there's a lot of serious things going around and the serious topics have hit – the University of Iowa football program. So just kind of doing a quick recap if you happen to be living under a rock and this is your only source of news. Uh, going back last week, a full week ago, this is we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, so if you go back a little bit, a little bit over a week, uh, Kirk Ferentz issued a statement or the University of Iowa program issued a statement about uh, taking a knee around uh, before the national anthems and getting applauded. Uh, and then Friday night, James Daniels kicked off what's been a, a huge movement with the Iowa, Iowa Hawkeye program saying that this would be a major step forward uh, for the culture of Iowa football if this did indeed happen, which then sparked a lot of black former Iowa football players sharing their experiences with the with their football program and feeling uh They've been treated unfairly. They uh, alleged ra- racist remarks, racist jokes from head from strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle, um, and it led to Chris Doyle being put on administrative leave, and a bunch of statements coming out from uh, other former players and Kirk himself and the football program and Chris Doyle himself. So. I guess I don't really know where to start with this, guys, but other than how do you feel this has happened and what is your overall reaction to everything going on with the Iowa football program? I feel right now that there is definitely a culture inside Iowa Hawkeye athletics that at the minimum is accepting of bullying. They are probably still in the 1990s, if not a earlier generation of football, their tactics and the quote unquote Iowa way that so many of us have kind of assumed meant working hard and being hard nosed and coming together as a team and one unit more so is probably militarian. And if not 
extremely racist when it comes to the strength and conditioning program, if not more than that. Um, I'm extremely disappointed that for so long we have thought that that this Iowa way, this Iowa way that I think we all thought we embodied, even as a podcast, we've joked about it before. I think that like we we come here, we grind every week, we 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 are who we are. Um, that really, for so many players that have been a part of this program, both who have graduated, moved on to the NFL level, or transferred, it was really the Iowa way of oppression. And it's, that's a hard thing to swallow. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was tough. It was tough reading all these things from former players. First of all, let's give credit to these players coming out, being you know having the courage enough to come out and say specific examples of what happened, sharing stories, stuff like that. I mean, it, it, they didn't have to. And, I mean, for them to do that, it shows a tremendous amount of courage on their part. So give them credit for that. And yeah, there, there's definitely some major issues that are going on within the football program, you know, whether it's just Chris Doyle or whether it's extended to assistant coaches and other people. I don't think we know the full extent to that yet, but it appears as of right now, Chris Doyle most likely will be out of a job, which judging by these comments and judging by these stories, it's probably warranted. I mean, some of these things are very hard to read and very hard to listen to with the stuff he was saying over the years. So, I mean, it's it's time probably to move on from Chris Doyle. Hopefully Iowa does that. And, yeah, I mean, it's... There's it, no way they can't. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's going to happen. I mean, we, we the, the writing's on the wall. His son is transferring. So that pretty much shows us that Chris Doyle's job with the Iowa Hawkeyes is over. I mean, I, I don't think he steps foot on the campus again and it's something Kirk and Gary Barda and whoever else is in the decision-making process has to do. I mean, when, when stories come out this specific from multiple players on the team from the past, I mean, it, it has to be done and it, it, maybe it shouldn't have lasted this long. It's, it's, it's bad. It's not a good look. And now things have to be done with Chris Doyle and maybe other people in the program. You guys both hit it on the head there. It, it's, it sucks that this this is happening, and I think it catches Iowa fans off guard even more so because, like Jerry said, the Iowa way is something that uh, a lot of a lot of fans, us included, really take take kind of pride in and get that hard hat, you know, lunch pail type of go to like blue collar effort all the time. Um, and it looks like the Iowa way is it has a bad reputation right now. Um, Champ, you mentioned, you know, we we don't know really who's all like how how bad it really could be, and I think that it that's an an issue across college football. I don't think that's an Iowa problem specifically because I think these programs only share what they want the public to see. Correct. <laughs> um, so this isn't. This I'm not one in specifically. Correct, and and I think I don't think Iowa is the only program that has this type of issue going on, and. It while it is a, a race issue, it's also just a bullying culture. It's a cultural issue, um, and it's something that it you you wish didn't happen to to a program that we that we enjoy watching so much. Um, but you know, it it's just really you know credit to all these players who are speaking out and and sharing their stories because it takes a lot of guts to to go out there and, and share their stories so far after the fact and. 
Um, for the most part, I think that the people who are reading these stories are taking it and and really hoping for the better for these future players because I, I do think like they 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 don't want this program and or anyone to be treated this poorly because it just isn't the way to to treat human beings especially especially nowadays like but it should never have been this way um how do you think jared we'll start with you in this one how do you think this has happened i mean i know you got into a little bit there in your in your kickoff there but where like how else has it led to to this that we look at the timeline right yeah kirk ferentz gets hired in 1999 um, he is a part of a generation that, and this is going to be damning to Kirk. And I, I, I'm, I am worried that this doesn't stop. I'm just going to rip the bandaid off. I don't believe for a second that Kirk Ferentz did not know the majority of these issues. This is a guy that got brought up under Bill Belichick. He is the Bill Belichickian, um, college football coach. He's been doing this for two decades. He is the, the guy, he is the Dean of all college football. You don't get to be to this point in your tenure in a, as a coach without knowing everything that's going on or the majority of, right? Now, all of us as fans probably ripped Joe Paterno. All of us as fans probably ripped the Louisville program. And now that the 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 camera or the lens or the mirror has been turned on us, it's like we almost want to turn a blind eye that Kirk Ferentz couldn't possibly be that kind of guy. And I, I just want to turn that back onto you guys. Like, how is it possible that he doesn't know that his coach that was told, basically given to him as a recommendation from day one, has been saying these things or had this type of environment? Like we knew about the Rabdo case already as it is. So he already knew that Chris Doyle has some sort of mean streak in him, to put it nicely, when it comes to players and um and, and their inability to kind of perform in certain levels and using workouts as punishments. Um, I just, I think this stems from a Kirk growing up in a different environment and letting his coaches that are also from that era run their individual departments as such, I guess, to put it. So here's how, here's how I would address that. Because I, I do think Kirk knows every detail that goes on with the program. And I think that's true, Jerry. As you said, every college football coach gets to where they are. Every major division one college football coach gets to where they are by being a control freak. That being said, I think he understands from a high level what Chris Doyle is doing. The actual tactics of which Chris Doyle might have taken to get there, he might not know. And... In the in moment or afterwards, that's where I'm struggling. Like I just don't see how if the, even these these players went to like their individual like position coaches, how they didn't how that didn't get back to Kirk at all over the last 20 years. Like we have players as early as James Daniels, we have players that are even now-ish kind of talking about it, and then we have guys that have been in the program since I mean they took over. How has he never heard a single thing about this? I don't know. I mean, I, I truly don't know. I, it could just be the it, and I think that is just it, it's it's a it's a bigger thing of having a cult of fear culture of speaking up 
and not falling into line, which is the big, which I think is, is, and I don't mean to diminish being making racist comments and, and that type of thing, but I do think that's the bigger issue is, is that the overall culture at the university, uh, the football program needs to be addressed because I think that is what's preventing instances like what we're seeing the past week from being corrected in the moment, because I don't think anyone's really felt comfortable speaking up to it. And so with that case, I don't like going back to what I was saying before, I don't see Chris Doyle coming, going to Kirk Ferentz in a meeting and say, I, I said this, 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 and this to motivate these guys to work out harder. And then and the flip, flip that, I know these players feel safe enough is safe for the right word to actually speak up, whether it's in a position group meeting, whether it's to Kirk directly, whether it's to an administrative staff that's within the building. I don't know, but that's just me kind of assuming some things there. Yeah. I I was going to say the exact same thing in regards to fear culture that Dave just said. I mean, that is, I think the biggest issue of this entire thing. I don't think guys were, you know, not only while they were playing for the university, I don't think they felt comfortable enough to come out and say these things because of the fear that, Hey, if they do come out, maybe they're kicked off the team or maybe the fans aren't as supportive as they are now after the fact that that's a real fear for, you know, 18 to 22 year olds. I mean, and that is an issue in and of itself. Just like Dave said they're they should be able to come out to their head coach or to their position group coach and be able to tell them, Hey, this is what's going on. I need something to be done about it. And it sucks that it didn't happen during their playing time, it, except for maybe a couple issues that, or you know, a couple instances that guys have either transferred or left the team because of stuff like this. But I, I the thing that to me with Kirk Ferentz, I have two main things. One is a lot of these players that have come out and have said these things have also backed Kirk Ferentz within their comments. They have not said Fair. like this is a Kirk Ferentz issue. That it, this is a head coaching issue. He should have had our backs. A lot of these guys have said their things about Chris Doyle in specific. And then at, in, in the same sentence have said, Kirk Ferentz is everything you have seen, what you all think Kirk Ferentz is. He's a leader. He helped motivate me while I was there. He's helped me since I've left. So that to me is why I, I don't think Kirk Ferentz knew to the extent that maybe Jerry thinks he did. Or others have think you know thinks he he has no. That's fine, but like in my and I'm just asking. I, I'm not here to like fire Kirk Ferentz. I you guys all know how I feel about Kirk Ferentz. I, literally, when he dropped the statement initially after the George Floyd um, d- death, that when he talked with the players, I, I put goat stays the goat stays the goat. But. His, and then with follow up with his interview with Scott Van Pelt like two days later. Yes, and then but like now with all of these stories coming out and and knowing what you mentioned, Champ, the systemic problem, the systemic root of the problem was this Doyle situation and possibly, according to some, his son. Can Kirk be part of the problem, or could Kirk, could Kirk be part of the solution, if he is either woefully oblivious to what's going on? Or B, he let it happen. And I think there's, I think there's a C there. I think there is a he. I think he. I guess let it happen is very strong, but I don't think there's another way to really phrase that, because I, I do think overall, if you, if you kind of break these some of these things down, he just made the problem worse by having certain policies in place, right? Part of the problem. 
Yes. Part of the pro- yes, it, it's it, but like the social media stuff, not letting not letting guys speak. Please. You're literally you're literally muting uh, the ability to to speak the, to let and your players trying speak. to and well try to until people then realize people got wind of what he was trying to do. Um, but to me, like that, so I I do think we've seen on the field we've seen Kirk adapt. We've seen Kirk become more modern, and I think this is now that version of of him having to do so. Off the field, I think people personalities have changed dramatically from when he first got into coaching. Jerry, you mentioned this at the very beginning of, of the show. To now, people have changed dramatically. What motivates people now did does not what probably didn't work back then, and what motivates people back then doesn't definitely doesn't work now. So again, none of these things are are, are right. Are things that have happened and within this program. But I think that it's just a, it's just another sign of having an, an older regime at the hell at the helm who were kind of stuck in their ways when it came to off the field stuff. And I, and I just think it, now it's going to be a very public way of modernizing and, and getting into a better place culturally. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if either of you have said this, but I, I think I heard it a few minutes ago. Do you feel that there's any sort of, you know, with Kirk and all these assistants, do you think there's like a uh, a system of delegating things? Hey, you handle this area. I'm the head coach of this team. Specifically, let's talk about Chris Doyle. He delegates Chris Doyle to run his weight training and, you know, anything that has to do with getting this team ready. He lets him kind of run that himself and he doesn't interfere. Do you think there's, do you think Kirk is, Basically, what I want to know is, do you guys think that Kirk is walking around within the weight room so he can hear specifically what Chris Doyle is saying to these players? He, and I think the problem, and a lot of people say this, is that the strength coach is so important because even though the head coach will probably know what's going on, or you know, in most parts, definitely know what's going on, they probably physically cannot be in the weight room, especially in the offseason. That's why the strength coach is, he actually spends the most time with the team. Yep. With these players individually, that's why that. But again, not saying that the head coach doesn't know what's going on. But Champ, to your point, he Kirk probably isn't in some cases allowed to be in the weight room and and, and when some of those interactions are ha- taking place. You're and that's 100 percent DC. Chris Doyle and the strength and conditioning coach, if I have this correct, is the only one that's allowed to talk to NFL scouts during the season, even. So we're talking about a position coach that spends the most time with the players is integral to a program program like Iowa as far as putting the weight on them, having guys change positions from tight end to offensive line, from linebackers to defensive tackles. Like we're talking about a guy that is the highest paid assistant or strength and conditioning coach. And the conversation. Um, correct. And, and yeah. probably was the top of his class. And the guy that these players would say they would go back to specifically train with that has been doing this for two decades and Kirk, at least a percentage, a small percentage, big percentage, all the percentage, let it happen. And for Kirk to come out and say that it is, it's the basically the buck starts with him and he is accountable. How does he get through this then? I know, Jerry, you and I have, have G-chatted throughout the day, throughout the week on this type of stuff. And I truly don't know if there's a way he in his press conference even said you know what he he the accountability starts with the ownership starts with him they all have to be accountable they all have to take ownership of this 
but it starts with him. Yeah. There's he's kind of talked talked himself into a corner in terms of that of of forcing either him to step down event like in the once ever this investigation's over or just some type of penalty of, of some kind because he and and rightfully so like he needs to take all the blame for this but if it well, if this does become a culture of of bullying of racist comments in terms of in it, and all that type of stuff he has to own up to that in some way, shape, or form. He can't just say, you know what, yeah, we're, we're moving on from Chris Doyle and nothing else is happening on the staff. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the policy of no hoodies, no hats, no cornrows, no chains, and limit your tattoos is Kirk Ferentz's policy, not not Chris correct. Doyle's. Correct. That is oppression. Like, that's what, this is what this movement is about right now, is to stop people from doing that. These players were uncomfortable, and I'm sure we're going to touch on this here shortly, and this is probably where Champ and I disagree most just based on individual talking between the three of us and the fourth member of Spoko, Zach. But when a guy like Amani Hooker says he is uncomfortable in the locker room, and then you have a guy like DJK who is the Kanye West of Iowa football being basically rallying against that same type of oppression we're talking about, like, who failed who? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we, we'll we'll go into we'll go into that now. We'll go into some of these reactions to everything overall. We've kind of we've tackled the situation overall, and I mean, there's every player. I mean, it, there's no one that is probably more. <laughs> more of a firecracker, more of a draws out all of the opinions in DJK. So I, I think he's kind of gets the focus of this, but what was your reaction to DJK's statement? I mean, where most guys were tweeting out, you know, maybe a notes app of a few paragraphs, DJK wrote what probably could have been featured on some long form piece sites of his, ex- of kind of what he wanted to say. What was your takeaway from DJK's statement? Jerry, you had a tweet that has, really sparked fights between our four, our group chat. But like, what is your take on DJK statement? I can speak to, I can speak to facts about DJK. And the reason I can speak to facts about DJK is because my wife was a very good friend of his, along with some of her field hockey friends. And I've heard their conversations with him and conversations together. I can speak to the fact that DJK has always said that Kirk Ferentz has had it out to him, out for him. I can speak to the fact that DJK is insistent on the fact that he was blackballed by Kirk Ferentz. I can also speak to the fact that since he was arrested, he has stuck to the story about the DEA situation. Now, do my tweet, and specifically between Champ and I, I am not sticking up for DJK. I do believe that he has a tendency to appreciate theatrics and shock value and drama. But that go- also goes to the fact of what I said earlier. That's why I believe he is the Kanye West of Iowa football. This is just something that he adds on, but that does not mean that his truth and his story should be taken down off the internet or defaced and devalued because a lot of what he's saying about him being oppressed and his personality, that's what these guys are talking about. I agree with that. But the one point that I have to it not being taken up when you have allegations as the head coach called the DEA to come bust my house for like Correct. A, a, 
a good publication can't leave that on the internet if it's not factual. If there's no actual truth, I mean, there's been the only person reporting that is DJK, which is, I mean, I think that's the very likely reason of why that story got taken down this week uh, from where it did. Because to me, that you can't, and this again goes back to the DJK thing, is every other player had very to the point experiences with Chris Doyle and stuff like that. And DJK hit on all those similar, similar themes, but then he has to go above and beyond to to have that shock value that you said. And I think that ultimately hurts his story. It makes him just seem very petty, insecure, and just like that Kirk, Kirk Ferentz is out to get him versus like, oh, there's actually a systematic bullying culture problem at the University of Iowa football program. DJK did what he always has done since he's been at Iowa and since he's left Iowa, and he made this about himself. This is all DJK always does. I don't want to hear from DJK anymore. I, whatever he says to me has no value because he's lied multiple times in the past and he continues to lie. That's why this entire piece was taken down because it's absolute bullshit. I mean, you can't come up with these ideas and beliefs and all the, the these rationale things that, that Kirk Ferentz is out to get me. Honestly, I know, Jerry, you may have some inside information with DJK like you mentioned. But if I never heard another word out of his mouth, I would be a happier person. And I don't I don't think he brings any value to this entire movement. Because like Dave said, he went above and beyond about what just this movement is trying to be. And he made it about himself. He, he, this is what he, he's always done since he's been at Iowa. And I'm flat out sick of it. Okay, fine. But when he initially spoke out 10 years ago, without the DEA story... Nobody believed him whatsoever. They literally slammed him to pieces and told him that he was too dramatic and there's no way that Kirk Ferentz would do these things. And then what happened? DJK got deeper into the dramatics and kept going deeper and deeper and deeper because that's that's just that's what unfortunately happened. But like if we didn't chicken little DJK, who was really the one of the first ones to speak out about these types of situations from the garbage can story, which is what he said originally from being benched for quarters at a time because he would he would do be himself from I think the or after the Orange Bowl, he wore like a very Miami type of um, attire and he got shit on about that. Like these are things that we're talking about the oppression wise that Kirk Ferentz has made the Iowa way against these black players. Let me ask you a question. If DJK hated Kirk Ferentz so much and he thought Kirk Ferentz was so out to get him, why in 2015 is he sending out tweets in support of Kirk Ferentz? If you're going to go, if you're going to go all this way and talk about how Kirk Ferentz since the beginning has been out to get me, and then come back after he says these tweets and come out with more ridiculous things. Why is he tweeting out, Dave sent us three or four specific tweets in defense of Kirk Ferentz and saying, you know, what Kirk Ferentz has done has been great. And now all of a sudden he's out to get him again. Uh, why would you even do that? If you hate Kirk Ferentz that much, why are you sending out? You're not at the university anymore, so you don't have any ramifications of Kirk Ferentz or Iowa or anything. Why are you sending out those tweets? One, based on his story, it seemed like he thought he was going to get to go back to celebrate and hopefully was trying to make amends with Kirk Ferentz. And if you do choose to believe that part of the story, he was called later and told that he is not able to go. So I would assume maybe that was a part of it. 
B, there is a very strong mental thing with people that are in relationships that are like this, where they continue to love somebody or appreciate somebody or approve of somebody when they are the one being abused. That happens a lot. So D, so now we're talking about DJK as like a battered woman syndrome. That's what we're comparing DJK to? Can, can we outrule? I mean, we're going to talk in generalities. Can you outrule that? You really can't. I mean, I guess you can't, but... Can we outrule I, that maybe he's a little bipolar or has a very personality that I, changes? I think that's a pretty big reach, but um, that's just my opinion. Why is DJK so untrustworthy? Because he's lied all along. About what? About what has he told the truth about? That's what has he told what, a lie about? He's told a more, way more lies than truths. What I mean, are the lies? You know what the lies are. We don't need to go through every single one of them. But they've outside I mean, of this statement and the DEA thing, which there's no proof of. It may be his truth. There's no proof. What lies have he, has he said? He's made up multiple lies while he was on the team. Why he was getting benched? Why he's not getting played? And those were false because he played. He was getting played. I mean that. that but he was, champ. Was, he was still sitting a lot. He oh. kept there was quarters literally where DJK would not play. We would joke about it all the time, Champ, you yes. and I. DJK is in the doghouse again for this first quarter. Then he'd go out there and he'd empod. He'd make plays or die. And that was it, his whole point. That he would go in the weight room and he would fucking crush it. He'd go on the field and he would crush it. And all of us, you included, would sit there and cheer him on. DJK's the fucking man. And anytime we'd see him out in Spoko or DC's or anywhere else, we'd all want to be a part of that DJK surrounding because he was you would be absorbed into DJK the persona that he created for himself. And yes, that is his biggest downfall because he created a, a person in his head that eventually got too big for his britches, and that's how the slide ended up starting to happen. But that does not mean for one second that his truths aren't truths. No, Jay, you're 100% right. And his biggest downfall is the fact that he just he, he couldn't get out of his own way in terms Correct. of when no one was believing him or taking what he was saying at face value, he just, instead of just like, Harping back to that, he just escalated it to the next level, yes. to the point now where he's he's accusing the head coach of a, of a football t- program that has police connections or you know government connections to call the DEA. If he has so many connections, why are there still football players getting getting arrested for DUIs? Yeah, exactly. So to me, like that that's why D, that that was DJK's, and I, I texted you guys this about that. Is his biggest issue is he can't get out of his own way. I think Jerry, he absolutely was benched at the time being benched was just being in Kirk's doghouse when in reality, he probably wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just being himself. And that was the most public example of kind of all this going on. But I think we've seen more and more of, of the, what else happened. It wasn't just DJK that was having to be made uncomfortable in his own skin. Right. Can we okay? So let's take away the the DJK drug side of it just for a second, okay? Because I'm sure that's a big part of what everybody's issue is. Is that you probably saw DJK out doing things? I have. We, we he's admitted it, and you've probably he's, all, heard, he's also denied it a lot too. That, so. but okay, he sure he might have denied it then, but he has fessed up to those in this in this letter. So whatever. We've all, we've, we all have stories. We've all heard stories, whether you bought it, didn't, whatever. I'm not here to justify that. But at the time when DJK was making plays, why was he not believed? Because in the moment when he was being benched or put in the doghouse, 
did we know of these extravagant lies that DJK was telling? No. Why, I just I don't understand why this is we, just. But we may not have known about these extravagant lies, but maybe the coaching staff did. We we're not privy to everything that the coaching staff knows within a season or within DJK's entire career. How do you know that the coaching staff didn't know that there was drug problems with DJK while he was playing? You don't know that. Why so, did he Why did he continue to play then? Shouldn't he have been drug tested? I mean, maybe, and, and based on everything else, that there were drug tests that were handed out unevenly to black players versus white players. So, and I'm sure if if I'm sure if, with all this going on, I'm sure DJK probably was tested more than other people. I don't know that to be. Uh, yeah, I, we don't know. Yeah, There's don't a lot know of things true, that people don't mean, know. But what drives me nuts is that when he was on the field, he was the man, and we all loved him because he made plays. That Ohio State game, running it back, we all went ballistic. But the minute he spoke out about the program, he turned into enemy number one and is still enemy number one because he did that. And, he, and, and when we all denied him his truce, he became the loudest voice in the room and started overstating these truths, and we all kept telling him, you're full of shit. Kirk Ferentz wouldn't do that. If his statement was more along the lines of what every other player was saying the past week, it was being made uncomfortable in my skin, being punished for trying to be who I am, and that was it. That That's where it stopped. He didn't get into the actual beefs between Kirk and him and his family and all that stuff. I think that would have been a lot more powerful coming – to help DJK's case in terms of to not being, you know, victim number one here or enemy number one, as Jerry just said, because he, uh, is, he would have a whole bunch of cases right behind him of saying, look, it wasn't just DJK who this was happening to, but be, and, and so champ, and I know you, like you are, you don't want to hear much from DJK anymore, but I do think if you, if you take at least part of his statement falls in line with what everybody else has been saying the past week. And it is, part of the root issue here. Yeah, I, I don't disagree that there's part of his statement that was true. That that you know Thank what, you. I didn't I have never said that that it, part of it wasn't true. But when you continuously build onto that those truths in his statement, quote unquote, and you build onto that with numerous lies, it just discredits you as a person. It makes us not want to believe anything that you say because why not? Why didn't he just make a one page or a one tweet statement like everybody else did? No, he made it a three page article, a smear campaign against Kirk Ferentz, because that's all DJK has ever done. And instead of just being, you know, I don't want to say falling in line with everybody else, but instead of just making a statement like everybody else did and having this issue come out to light, he made it about himself. And that's what pisses me off about DJK. Understood. And again, this is DJK being his own worst enemy. I do. I personally believe that even if he had done what DC said, the people still would have raged against DJK. And I wish we could have seen that because I would hope that if that DJK actually told his story and and only spoke about facts uh, that we would embrace him again because he was a great player. He has records. He he was a beast in the weight room. And, I mean, yes, personally, as a kid, an impressionable kid at 20, 21 years old, he made some dumb mistakes. But every single one of you listening to this podcast did too. And if you're mad that he did drugs, the majority of you did too and probably still do illegally. 
So if you're using that in your argument to say that DJK is not somebody that you should trust, you need to stop and look in the mirror. That's all I'm saying. I don't think that's fair. I think we, we've we harped on DJK's statement here a lot. Are there any other players that you have, player statements that you have reactions to? I don't think none none really other stuck out. They like kind of what we've been saying. The theme was pretty similar across the board for a lot of these guys. Yeah. That it was, you know, they they did not were made not to feel comfortable. They were, you know, try they were told to not try to be who they were. Uh, they had comments made inappropriate comments made to them to go, you know, sending back to the ghetto things of that nature. Just nothing good. Um, but I just want to know from you guys if there's anything else that sticks out from any individual players comments before we move to the, the other issues within, within the, uh, within the program right now. I mentioned it earlier, but I think Amani hookers was one that kind of really startled me because he was such a, um, a great player for this, this program. He was the model Hawkeye. Um, and for him to come out and say like, I was uncomfortable and it was hard for you to be yourself in and around the Iowa football facilities. I think that speaks a lot of volumes. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I and it it it's tough to see these guys who who it just it just really sucks. That's <laughs> just what I keep coming back to. Um, let's shift to another statement that was made this week. It came from Chris Doyle himself. His statement came up right before Kirk's press conference. And what were your reactions to seeing Chris Doyle's statement, Champ? So. It, the first two paragraphs of Chris Doyle's statement were absolutely fine. And then he put his foot in his mouth, that last paragraph, and he literally just took back everything he said, basically, in the first two paragraphs. To me, Chris Doyle's statement is this. I'm going to be fired, and now I'm writing this statement in preparation of suing the university. That's what it looks like to me. He knows he's about to be you know, let go with it, within his job. And he wrote this statement to back himself because he's probably going to sue the University of Iowa. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why his his statement was so seemingly tone deaf. I think it was to, I mean, it was whoever timed the release right before Kirk's press conference, you know, is, is an expert in PR. But what they weren't an expert in is really navigating that that last paragraph because that was coming out saying you were asked to be quiet but you cannot, and then to flat out deny everything that's happened, despite saying earlier in that statement that you have, that it's time to change, is very conflicting and very hard to take at any sort of value whatsoever. Jerry, what were, you, what were your reactions to? I think him and DJK both need an editor, because <laughs> it seemed like the, that both statements had things that were like, oh, okay, this makes sense, and like, that, okay, that's fine, and then there's just like one giant paragraph for each of them that just is like, what the hell are you thinking right now? Um, it's not good. It, 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 champ hit it on the nose. Uh, Doyle is going to go after the, the program. Um, and this brings me to a, a kind of a bigger point and more of a Gary Barta point to bring him into the picture. So I think it's necessary is this kind of feels a lot like the Tracy Grisbaum situation with the field hockey abuse that went on and yep. wrongful firing and this and that. And, we haven't heard from old blood punch, um, but this is not a good situation for, I mean, everybody involved. Um, no, but it absolutely. seems like Gary Barta allows a um, uh, his his programs and his coaches to kind of run with these 
um, bullying type of uh, coaching. I don't know. You know, you know what it is. It it seems like he's just a very very hands off athletic director. Yeah. He he there there needs to be and this kind of this kind of uh, transitions really nicely into kind of how can we move for, how can the program move forward here is there needs to be more oversight across the athletic department it seems like because this isn't the first issue of Jerry as you just said of of a bullying culture of a, of a unhealthy culture within a, within a, within one team um but to me, the the bigger thing here is that there just doesn't seem to be. I mean, even if you take the allegations against Brian Ferentz, every time anyone brings it up, it's just like, oh well, Brian reports to Gary Barda. He doesn't report to Kirk. <laughs> so it just it it just seems like there's no one in there to do any type of check and checks and balance type of thing with this with this program or with the other department overall. And it just to me seems like it's been a repeat uh, issue when, with the various teams. And it's really time for somebody to kind of step up here and have more oversight over the entire athletic program. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there needs to be more oversight. There needs to be more accountability. And whether that's going to be with Gary Barter or it's going to be with a new athletic director, we're going to have to wait and see. Because who knows if Gary Barter is going to survive this or if he should. Do either of you have any suggestions or things you would want to see the program do to kind of help move forward and kind of help fix the culture issue that the football program has? So what Kirk Ferentz has instituted with, you know, talk, bringing back Mike Daniels now and this account, you know, this group that he's created with Mike Daniels being the head of this group where, you know, in specific, you know, black players can come and voice their opinions and let it all be out in the open. I think that's a very good first step of what needs to be done here. There, It's not the only step. There needs to be a lot more things that have happened. But for him to do that right away, I think that was a good step. Mike Daniels is well-respected, you know, not only with the Iowa program. He's been in the NFL for a long time. He's, you know, an outspoken guy. So I think that's going to help. I think it's going to, you know, let these guys, you know, somewhat have a voice because they deserve to have a voice. And I think – that committee or, you know, group organization, whatever they're calling it, is definitely a good step in that in, in that right direction. But I think there there definitely needs to be a lot more things. Jer, I don't know specifically if you have things in specific you would like to see, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, Champ's right. They, they, they've, he's he started off like Mike Daniels being on that new organization and uh, that they're that they're starting is is really good, and he's going to bring on hopefully guys like Des King and um, other former players that have had situations and stories and truths that they can kind of hopefully eliminate that going forward. Um, he probably needs to get some more minority type coaches, whether that's making current ones more prominent roles or putting them as coordinators. I don't I don't think Kirk's ever had a coordinator that's been of uh, African you can count them on one hand, all defensive and offensive on one hand. So no, he has not. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's promoting the guys that you have in your system right now. Um, I think on top of it too, you probably need to try to find a former, you know, black player that can come in and, and be your strength and conditioning coach. I don't think you should promote that guy that's there right now. That's been under Doyle, unfortunately, because he's been part of that problem in my opinion. Um, and on, yeah, on top of that, I think maybe some other things need to change with the nepotism that's going on in the Iowa Hawkeye program, unfortunately. 
So the one thing that I was going to point out, and I did a little searching around here and, and reading the Twitters and stuff, but uh, Broderick Bins was named the Interim Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the Athletic Department, which I think is – and he was the current Director of Player Development for, for the football program. So that, I think, is a huge, huge step because having some form of diversity and inclusion – where players feel safe that they can go to and voice their concerns or voice any issues that they have is a huge, huge first step, even above forming this committee that I, I agree with is very, very good and very needed for this program. But having that department or that person that people can go to to make sure diversity and inclusion is a top priority amongst the athletic department as a whole is huge and a great first step, but you have to go a step further. There needs to be more and more people promoting a safe, inclusive culture where people aren't above reproach. You can go to Kirk Ferentz directly if you have an issue. If you don't want to, you still have resources at your disposal to go to and voice concerns. So to me, that is the biggest way things can change. Being more open, being letting, being letting people be more uh, self-expressive and, and not trying to tamper that down. You can be the Iowa way. You can be a, the Iowa way that we all know. You can do that and still be your own person. And I really hope that that's the, the biggest takeaway that this the pro football program takes away from this moving forward. Because you can be a hard worker, be dedicated, and you can wear whatever the heck you want to wear. You can wear your hats. You can wear your hoodies. You can have tattoos, whatever. It's a per That's a personal choice, but it does not make you any less of a hard worker than the guy next to you. Bingo. So to me, that is the biggest thing that this the football program needs to do to move forward. It's just being, you know what, we're we're going to embrace the personality that each and every single person on this on this program has because at the end of the day, that's what makes families great. No one, not a family, not every single person's the same. Everyone's got their own quirks and their own personalities, but that's what makes a family special, makes a family dynamic, and that's the same thing with I hope I was going to preach a family atmosphere. That's number one, the, the thing you have to embrace. Yeah. I just Googled it because I, I was trying to remember it while I was speaking, and I, but I couldn't. And I wanted to give proper uh, credit. Scott Docterman made a really good point um, and wrote about it, and I uh, apparently put it on his podcast too. But uh, promoting Kel Kelvin Bell to assistant head coach um, and giving him that title right now, currently, I don't, I don't believe there is one. And if Kirk, for some reason, were to not be able to coach or something happened, Calvin Bell would then be, become the guy running the show. So I, I think he's, idea. he's been a great Hawkeye. He's been a great uh, ally for these players. I think he's, I think a lot of players have, have talked about how good he's been to them um, in these types of situations. So I think that would be a really smart move to start as well. I totally yeah. agree. Let's wrap things up here. We have kind of touched on it throughout the podcast on various people, but futures, the future kind of of the certain coaches and, and people here at play. Let's start with Chris Doyle. I think we all assume rightfully so that he will no longer be with the program. Um, I don't think either one of you disagree with that. Not at all. Uh, let's go Brian Ferentz next. Um, it seems like we kind of said Kirk kind of sidestepped it by saying Kirk or Brian reports to Gary Barda. So it's not necessarily in his purview, but thoughts on Brian Ferentz's future with this program. I think Brian Ferentz's future is a lot more murky than Kirk Ferentz's is. I think there have been a couple specific things about Brian Ferentz, and that's going to have to be addressed, whether it's him, you know, having specialized training that he's going to have to go to or flat out losing his job. I don't, I don't know the answer to those questions, 
But I think Brian Ferentz is in a lot, not a lot, but he's in a, a more precarious position than his father, Kirk, is. Jay, what do you think? Yeah, um, not a great look for Brian as his biggest supporter in the past. Um, he's also been part of, he, he's had a lot of issues himself while on campus that have kind of been brushed under the rug on top of uh, these stories that have come out about him. So uh, if I just wouldn't be shocked if maybe the heat gets turned up on him a little bit and he finds himself uh, with Josh Daniels somewhere else. And um, yeah, I don't see him long-term anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of the antics, I think the, at least Jerry, you and me have, you know, the, the previous antics of, of, you know, banging on the door of the replay official during halftime, causing scenes during games have been brushed on the rug as being competitive and being, being fiery. But I think it's, it's, he's, it's just harder and harder to make the case of him being the heir apparent uh, head coach with kind of just the case piling up against him. And I, I don't think it's going to do him any favors being Kirk Ferentz's son either. I think that's actually going to hurt him in this case. I think that if it's going to come down to it, I think Kirk is going to have to make that tough decision of, you know, I know he quote unquote reports to Gary Barta, but Kirk has authority over his staff. And if it, if it's, if this comes out, Kirk is not going to be able to say, you know, it's going to make him look worse if he, you know, tries to cover it up because it's his son. So I think it's actually going to be a detriment to Brian if, it, if and when this does come out that he may have to lose his job. Next up. Gary Bardo, I know we talked about this briefly, but he's not only right now the athletic director of the University of Iowa, he is also the chairman of the playoff committee. <laughs> Believe it or not, he's in charge of, of who gets to play in the playoff. Do you think he steps down from that role in, as this investigation continues? Or do you think he's distanced himself enough where he, again, is somehow safe from all of this? I, unfortunately, I think he's distanced himself enough. Like we've said, I mean, he just, he doesn't have his finger on the pulse of Iowa athletics and he's the athletic director, which is crazy. So I think, yeah, unfortunately he, I think he's distanced himself enough from this where he can say, Hey, I wasn't, you know, in these rooms. I didn't hear these things. I didn't, you know, know of any of this happening. Cause I delegate my, you know, my teams and my, you know, organizations to other people. So unfortunately I think he's going to be fine in all of this. And I, yeah, he probably still stays as the, uh, you know, head of the college football playoff committee. Trying to get a little, a little levity here, but for all the jokes that we make about, we made about Garpax having lifetime contracts. I don't think anyone displays that type of personality more than Gary Barter with all the things he's gone through and bundled and bungled. He still somehow is athletic and getting more responsibilities. But, Jerry, what do you think his future looks like? Uh, have you guys seen that any of these players have brought it up to people inside the athletic department? Nothing no. specifically. I think the the interesting thing in Scott Doctorman's piece that today on Wednesday here was he interviewed, he talked to Fred Mims, the former associate athletic director. Fred Mims uh, has buried himself of plenty of stories in the past. Well, but I also feel like a lot of athletes have gone to him in the past and he's not there. So I feel like there's a lot less of, of for minority athletes for somebody to go to within the athletic department. And that's what I was going to bring up because the their athletic department, Fred Mims in, in particular, was told about the field hockey incidents and 
they buried that whole situation. So if none of these players did go to a Fred Mims or somebody else inside that program, then yeah, Gary Barta is probably going to skate by on this one again too. It's fair enough. And all right, let's end it here with uh, Kirk, the, the head football coach. We've kind of talked about throughout the show. He, he claims that he has, you know, everything starts with him, all the accountability, the ownership here. Um, after this investigation, after this investigation wraps up, uh, how does this play out for uh, Kirk Ferentz? Gerald, start with you. I think he's going to play it like you know. I he's he's making the changes. I think Kirk will get the chance to go into this season, but um, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and agree with your opinion, DC. I don't want to steal your thunder here. Uh, yeah. So my take that we've been texting about has been I I don't think he gets fired because I don't think he directly did anything there, but because he oversaw everything and he is the head football coach. And I, and I do think he is going to put the wheels in motion to fix everything here. But I ultimately think he thinks it's, if he, if he thinks it's the right step to, to step down. And I, I think eventually we will see it. I think this is, might be the, this could be curse last year and he might step down just because he can't, you can't avoid the, uh, the collateral damage that comes from having your strength football coach making these types of, of racist comments and having a bullying culture in the weight room. Yeah. I mean, I definitely could see that, you know, him trying to rectify the situation this year and, you know, implement things going into the future and then ultimately stepping down after the season. I definitely can see that. I personally think he's going to be here at least another three or four years. I don't think he's going to want to just, Say, all right, here you go. Here's all our new things that we're going to do. Whoever is taking over for me, good luck. Like, I did all this, but now it's your turn to take over and do all. I think he's going to want to stay and have these things be implemented and have this culture, you know, change for the better over these next two, three, four years with Kirk Ferentz. I don't think he's going to want to leave, you know, his quote-unquote legacy like this. I don't think he's going to want to leave the Iowa football program in this situation, unless he's forced to, which is possible. But I think it, ultimately, I think they're going to give him the chance to rebuild and, you know, change a lot of these things. Chin, my question to you then is, I mean, because no one knew this was ha- seemingly happening behind these closed doors. Is there really a way for Kirk to, to quote unquote, fix this and improve if, if, everything comes out to and this investigation proves everything out like assuming that it is is there a way for him to Im- really improve his legacy from this like i sort of feel like this is kind this is kind of one of those things that's going to stick with you no matter what you do it may but like i said previously a lot of these players that have come out and said this have not said a bad word about kirk ferentz throughout this you know entire process yes unless it's akram wadley's mom unless it's akram <laughs> wadley's mom yes but i i think ultimately he's gonna get the chance to you know change it for the better and i think and i hope he gonna, does so and do I. I and i think a lot of these players have and i think a lot of these players are going to continue to support kirk parents and that's going to help him in to go along this entire situation I mean, the person, if I had to bank on it, that I think can change and create a, a better program um, for the next 10 years, it's going to be Kirk. I, I bet on him more than I bet on Brian. Yeah, and that's going to be a big question now, too, is in the future now, can you leave it to Brian Ferentz? I, oh. I, I don't know if you can. I Honestly, I don't think you can. No, I, I think it's 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 definitely tough. Um, 
and I, I do hope Kirk is feels like he he can and he will fix what's been the issues for the last 15 years it seems like but based on the the players specific players who have uh who've come forward um and I I do think he can do it and I think a lot of players have said he, they they think he he can do it it just comes down to the it's not necessarily what the players who used to be here and maybe even it could just be public pressure at the end of the day I mean, we're in the middle of a of a monumental movement in this country right now, and it's going to be difficult if you are associated with anything like this. I mean, we're seeing it day by day of new things happening to people who are just are tied to any sort of negative racist comments. And rightfully, I mean, rightfully so. There's no place for that in this country. And I think, unfortunately, it's it you're going to see a lot of people who maybe didn't have any direct hand into it, but are, are in positions of power and get, get penalized for it. Yeah. We'll see. Any other takeaways or final thoughts here, guys, before we wrap up this week? 2020 is a constant kick in the balls and this all sucks, <laughs> but hopefully we're all learning a lot and getting better as people, as fans, as a university, um, because these are things that matter and we all need to be better. 2020 is painful, but as people always say, you cannot change without it being pain. change. Change is painful. So hopefully, like Jerry said, we are changing for the better. Um, and everyone's learning and, and we're moving forward, but man, what I wouldn't kill for just some regular complaining about third and seven, third and seven routes right now, than what we're talking about right now. But just think. All this, hopefully, like you guys have said, is going to, you know, make a lot of things better within our future. And then ultimately, hopefully we look back at 2020 as a year that a lot of things were changed and we learned a lot of new things and made us appreciate sports even that much more because we haven't gotten it. And there have been a lot of negative things in 2020. Amen to that. I think uh, for Jer, for Champ. DC, we are probably, not probably, we are definitely not the people to have to speak about this type of stuff. We don't know everything. We don't claim to know everything. Um, we want to be a platform for anybody who can help pass us knowledge, get us thinking in different ways, let us be a platform for you. So if there are former Iowa athletes out there listening to this who want to come on and, and talk to us about this and help enlighten us, please, we are more than welcome. Hit us up on Twitter. Um, and, and let us know because we definitely need and are open to, to listening and, and hearing more about everything going on and, and how we can help make everything more inclusive and, and more equal for everybody out there. Yes, sir. Yep. We'll talk to you guys again next week and uh, hopefully get slowly here back to a little bit more of, uh, of comedy and, and nonsense uh, and, and progressing the conversation forward follow us on twitter subscribe to the podcast go hawks go hawks go james daniels trick or treat iowa city if you don't love it leave it usa number one